Will you join with me in prayer? Oh God, we come tonight and we love the singing of those carols. We love hearing the playing of those fantastic songs. We love hearing the story again of how you came into the midst of the darkness in the form of a human being, Jesus, who came to be our Christ. And we are thankful, Lord, that Christmas is not simply a traditional or a cultural or a folk celebration. but It's a celebration of your light chasing away darkness, your light filling our lives, your light giving us hope to live now and forever. We ask, O oh God, that you open our hearts tonight to that light, that we might be ready, that we might be supple hearers of the message, that we might, O oh God, be those that truly, truly embrace the light tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I just want to take one moment of personal privilege before I start, and that is to say thank you to Deirdre. It is your 20th birthday today, right? And she sang at two services, so thank you, Deirdre. <laughs> happy birthday to Jesus, and happy birthday to you, and thank you. Merry Christmas. Oh, you've got more in it than that, don't you? Merry Christmas. I believe you. I believe you now. Thank you. You know, I want to say this to you as we come to worship tonight. Welcome to the most romantic day of the year. Did you know that? It's true. If this year is anything like the last few, next week, several very excited couples will be calling the church office to set their date for a wedding and to share with us the wonderful story of how they became engaged Today, Christmas Eve. In fact, every year in the United States, Christmas Eve is second only to Valentine's Day as the most popular day on which to pop the question. Makes sense. Makes sense to me anyway. I mean, celebrations all around us. We generally feel closer to each other when we're on vacation. And everywhere you turn, candles are are lit. And it's just by atmosphere alone, it's so... Romantic. Romance is in the air. And let's face it. For guys that need to remember a special date, Christmas Eve is a good choice, isn't it? Good choice. And certainly as we worship tonight, the lights, the carols, and all the nostalgic traditions have in many ways romanticized what Christmas means to us. Since the first time we heard it, sitting on our parents' lap, in a Sunday school class, at a Christmas Eve service, or even by Linus in the Charlie Brown Christmas special, every single element of the story that Keith and Andrew read this this evening has warmed our hearts. It has a wonderful, romanticized ring in our ears. In our mind's eye, we've have imagined the conversations ripe with love and hope, planning for the impending coming of the first child that Mary and Joseph must have had as she rode down the road on a donkey and he walked alongside her on, her, on their journey to Bethlehem. I mean, we can literally with our eyes see the two of them making do as most young couples must do with the marginal provision of bad housing, even needing to stay 
in a stable. And it warms our hearts. I mean, it just lights us up to think of a brand new mother and a proud father adoring their child, tightly wrapped in a baby blanket, their faces beaming with joy. Now, this scene is something we don't really even have to work that hard at to imagine. It's provided for us in all the cards we receive, in the front yard displays of light in our neighborhoods, the programs we attend. And many of us have even gone somewhere to see a nativity jump to life. I know I have. A few years ago, I attended just such a living nativity at one of our partner churches. It was great. It was, it was, it was great. It was a very dark December night. And I arrived about 15 minutes before the time that was advertised as the end of the nativity, the living nativity. And I didn't want to miss it. So I quickly popped out of my car, I put my gloves on, I stuck my stocking cap on, and I headed towards what was clearly the illuminated stable out there in the distance. Now between the parking lot and that nativity scene was a campfire with a dozen or so United Methodists sitting around it caroling and, of course, cooking. Want a burger or a s'more, one of them said to me. I said, no, no, I want to see this. So because I, I'd promised that I'd get to the nativity, I pushed down that path that was marked by tiki torches, you know, like you stick on your deck or on the beach or on the 4th of July. And when I got to the scene, I got to tell you, I mean this. I'm not for schmaltzy stuff, but it was wonderful. It was fantastic. Over here on this one side were the donkeys, and they were staring me down. And they were brand, you know, a lot like a donkey in a living nativity should be. And over here on this side, there were two black Angus cows and a couple little sheep running around beside them. In the center back, there were three 20 or 30-something-year-old guys with with big beards. And they stood with gilded robes covering their car hearts, wearing bejeweled crowns and holding what was obviously gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And forward and on both sides of them stood a couple of men and women obviously playing the role of shepherds and burlap bags tied by twine around their waist that barely covered their snowmobile suits. Over the animals, I could hear kind of off in the distance that that faint hum of, of probably a small little Honda gas generator that was powering the milk house heaters that was keeping everybody warm and the boom box that was playing Sandy Patty's version of a little town of Bethlehem. And there in the middle of it all was Mary and Joseph bent down, serenely smiling over a child. The child may have been real, may have been a doll. I can't tell for sure. All I can tell you for sure was that Mary was wearing Uggs boots. I don't know why that stuck out to me. But because of the heart's of those that had put it all on. Because of their wonderful intentions, I have to tell you, it was beautiful to me and to the rest of us that were staying there looking across the fence at it. And though most of us had been to Christmas many, many times, in the truest form of the word, God's coming in Jesus was indeed, at that moment, romantic. They had brought to life on a cold Iowa prairie, 
the most love-filled night in all of human history. And then, from the front step of the church, a burly farmer cried out, Okay, 7 o'clock, everybody. Break it all down, and we'll have cocoa and hamburgers in the church basement at 7.30. Almost instantly, as I was talking with the pastor, a couple of those night suns, you know, the ones you see at a construction site, were illuminated, and the dark became light. The campfires and the torches were extinguished. Animals were herded into the trucks. Men and women, shepherds and kings alike, were transformed from characters in the nativity into folks loading hay bales onto a trailer. Just moments earlier. It had been so wonderful, so romantic. And now, in the blink of an eye, it was over. On to the cocoa and the warmth of the church basement. But not so for Mary and Joseph. You know? They couldn't go to the basement of the church for warmth or cocoa or hamburgers. During this season, we have certainly immersed ourselves in the romantic, the beautiful side of the story. In the forefront of our minds is the wonder of a birth, angelic choruses, men and women who run from their workplace out in the fields to praise God. And we envision wise men with extravagant gifts somehow excitedly moving across the Arabian desert, traveling many miles in great happiness. While we have this luxury, As we worship in the warmth of a sanctuary, it is important for us to look into these moments a little bit deeper to see what God really wants us to see at Christmas. See, Joseph and Mary were not actors. This is their life. And at this moment, their life had been very much disrupted and darkened. Now maybe... Maybe there was a donkey to carry Mary. Maybe not. The Bible doesn't say. We draw that on our postcards because it looks cool. But for sure, there was a journey not of choice, but a forced journey of 80 miles through some pretty rough terrain to the small town of Bethlehem. And both Mary and Joseph knew what waited them at Bethlehem, a huge tax bill that was payable that very day and the likelihood that their child was going to be born among strangers. How do you think it went that day? Joseph running around trying to find someone who could help with the delivery. Mary in the gritty physical struggle that is the human birth process. All playing out in a barn, not in a hospital surgery room, but all playing out in a barn where the only heat was from the body heat of stable animals. And just down the street, there's King Herod being told of another king coming to life in his territory. And like any other tyrant, paranoid about losing his power base, he reacts by deciding to destroy the competition. So hearing both the angelic voices and the rumors about Herod, the parents scoop up their baby and flee to a foreign land. The king goes ballistic and orders the death of all boys under two years of age. Merry Christmas. That's the Christmas story. Merry Christmas. That's it. Not so romantic. Not so romantic, is it? See, there's been the long tendency in Christianity to clean stuff up, 
to make the ugly and the dark and the difficult moments more tolerable, maybe even romantic. But think about it. There is nothing romantic about a baby being born far from family, far from home in a barn with a madman desiring to kill him in his very crib. Still, with all that, the nativity is one of our most cherished images. There's nothing romantic about crucifixion, about the crucifixion that's going to come to this child. The cross is one of the most revolting instruments of death known to all of humankind. It was upon the cross that many were left to die of suffocation or exposure from wounds inflicted during, during a beating. Yet we cherish the cross. We love the cross. We center it in our sanctuaries. We wear it as jewelry. We, we feature it on our tattoos or on our t-shirts. Why would we do that? Because we know that in the cradle and the cross of Jesus Christ, there is something that is much more important to us than a romanticized ideal. There is the true light of the world that pushes away the darkness from us and for us. See, Isaiah, representing the prophetic tradition of Israel, proclaims that deep darkness, deep darkness, has covered the earth. The darkness addressed by the coming Messiah is not the darkness that expires each time the earth spins on its axis and morning comes to rise. It's something that's much darker and much deeper than that. The darkness that is very deep covers our lives. It may manifest itself in many ways, but it has a singular source. And understand this. It has a singular source. Our choice to live in it truly has has been well documented from this pulpit. Dark circumstances come to our lives, those we may or may not be able to prevent. But deep darkness of life is a result of choosing to live separately from God. A seminary classmate of mine, his name was Houston, was once asked in class what his concept of hell was. He said this, To be in complete darkness and left alone for an eternity. Now whether you agree with Houston's definition or not, the darkness of separation from everything is not something we crave. And this is the good news of Christmas. This is the real news of Christmas. If, if we desire, the darkness of our lives can be replaced by the King of Light, Jesus Christ. The coming of God in human form, in the human form of Jesus is the presence of light that defies our darkness, that repels our darkness, that extinguishes our darkness. For in Him there is no darkness, and we shall never be alone. This is why He says of Himself, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in the darkness, but have the light of life. A number of years ago, our family visited Teresa, my spouse's brother, and his family down in South Florida. Late one afternoon, an opportunity for everyone to go to the shopping mall arose. Now at the moment of departure, as everybody was piling into the cars, my small nephew, who was roughly five at the time, was engaged in some interactive adventure on his computer. And because, and i got to tell you, because I was willing to take one for the team, I volunteered to stay home and not go to the mall. 
It's just the way I am. I'm a giver, okay? I told everybody, no, no, that's okay. Mike can keep playing. I'll, I'll stay home with him. Right before everyone disembarked, his mom went upstairs, and you know what happened next. He, she went up there, and she said, uh, Mike, Michael, Uncle Mike is just downstairs if you need anything. And, and though I heard him mumble some voice of understanding, clearly his main communication was with the screen in front of him, not his mother beside him. Time passed. Night fell. His computer adventure concluded. The trip to the mall had not. And while I watched football in the family room, in the distance, I heard little Michael calling, Mom? Mom? Dad? Dad? Brittany? Brittany? Shortly, his volume, now infused with fear, increased significantly. He ran from room to room in what was now the darkened Upstairs, I called out, Michael, I'm down here. The sounds of little feet sprinting down the steps. Then the tear-stained face of a panicking five-year-old boy came right around the corner to meet me. He stood right in front of me and said, Uncle Mike, that was terrifying. I thought I was alone, and it was dark. He jumped up onto my arms and took a hug. A hug. Then he addressed the situation, kind of wiped his tears off, asked a question about his mom and dad and sister, and as quickly as he had come, he was gone. Back to that same place to play. The presence of an adult was all he needed to light up his darkness. And though I did zip up there a couple times to check on him to see if he was okay, He didn't emerge again until the rest of the family came home. This night I contend, friends, that in our darkness, this is what the Lord gives us. His presence. His presence in what we see to be our darkness. And and in His presence, the darkness flees. Please understand, our dear Lord is quite aware of the darkness quite aware of the duress, quite aware of the difficulties in your lives. This is why in love he becomes present on earth. This is why he was born in a manger rather than in the majesty of a palace. This is why he spent time with the people, not with the princes. This is why he on his last day called out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is why he experienced the pain of the lashes, the death, on a cross. That is not romantic or sentimental love. That is love with power behind it. That is love that lasts beyond the feeling or beyond any moment. Walking through the oft dark places of human life and emerging victorious was the only way that he felt we might see his presence as the only light in our darkness that we would ever need. So on this day, on this evening, which is filled to the brim with romance and love, on this day when we celebrate the Advent, the coming of God's light into the world, I conclude by offering you, without apology, an invitation. It may not be what you came for, 
but it may be what you need. If you're feeling restricted and crushed by darkness, if you came to this service just to make another person happy and have been sitting there the whole time just craving it to end, I understand. If you were once living day by day at some point in your life in God's light and have drifted off by some of your own choices into the darkness, if you've experienced, never experienced the light, if you've felt lost and alone for a long time, or you're uncertain about your future, or your relationship with the Lord is not secure or even good right now, then on this Christmas Eve, I, I submit to you that the only gift that you need from God is an invitation. If you desire light to cast out your darkness, embrace tonight the light. This Christmas Eve right here, right now, at this time, in this place, I encourage you to embrace the light of the world, Jesus Christ as your Lord. There are classes for this all over town, but you don't need a class. You simply need to do one thing, and as Pastor Keith says it all the time, it's simple, but it's not easy. We need believe, and if you're struggling with this, I'm just going to lay it out for you. To receive Christ as the light in, the, in your life, you need to believe that Jesus Christ came as God present on earth to light your darkness with his presence and offer you salvation and forgiveness and redemption from your sins. And once you believe that, you simply need to receive the forgiveness that God gives you. And then invite His Holy Spirit to come and set a tent up in you, to reside in you, and spend the rest of your life becoming the man or woman that God has freed you to be. Why not choose living in His light right now? Why spend another moment living adrift in the abyss of the darkness? I know. I get it. I've been a pastor a long time. I know that maybe you just came for a romantic, nostalgic Christmas Eve, ripe with tradition and candles and carols. But maybe, maybe, this is the night intended to be much more for you. And if it is, this will be the most Merry Christmas that you will ever know. Will you pray with me? Lord, our God, as we come to these moments, we come from different places and with different sensitivities and understanding. And we just pause right now, Lord, because we know, Father, there are those among us, and maybe we are one, that is aching and hurting, and we've felt as if we've been living in the darkness for such a long time. And so, Lord, I just speak to them individually, uniquely, and practically. If this is your night, and you're here right now, and you desire to receive Jesus Christ, if you want him as the Lord of light to chase the darkness out of your life, I encourage you to say a prayer in your heart that I'm going to say in just a moment. And if you've been to this place many times and you need a renewal, I encourage you to say that as well. And if neither of those are true for you, I ask you to pray for those who need this. So if you're looking, 
If you're expecting the Lord to come into your heart today, simply in your heart say this. Dear God, I am very sorry. I'm sorry for the sins I have committed. I am sorry for pushing you away and choosing to live in this darkness. Please forgive me. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving my sins. I invite you to live within me by the power of your Holy Spirit now and forevermore. In your name I ask this, and I thank you for making it true. Amen. Now, if any of you prayed that prayer alongside Pastor Keith and us, we are, of course, welcome, welcome uh, open to you and just would love to speak with you at any time about growing your faith in, in Jesus Christ. Many of you came, of course, for this uh, high moment where we pass the light in our candlelight services. There is a liturgy in your bulletin that we'll say in just a moment. I'm sure it will be on the screen, and we will be passing light, so make sure that we can enjoy this. Uh, by being as careful as possible and really celebrating the light. The celebration of the light of the world. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. You are the light of our world. Be light in our darkness, O Christ. Tonight we light these candles and hold them high as a symbol. We light these candles to proclaim that Christ is the light of our lives. Let us celebrate that truth.
how we extinguish our candles, but we know the light of the world sheds on us and shines through us forever.